The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann is dedicated to teachers. How can we ensure access for all students in the math classroom? I'm Steph from Heinemann, and today on the podcast, we're joined by Amy Lucenta and Grace Kelamanik. Amy and Grace are co-authors of Routines for Reasoning, Fostering the Mathematical Practices in All Students. Amy and Grace are big proponents of helping students develop their mathematical thinking and reasoning skills, and they say that building routines into math instruction is one way to do that. We started our conversation by asking, what does routine look like in a math classroom? So we make a distinction between just a classroom routine and an instructional routine. And the reason for this is there are a lot of routines in classrooms that make a classroom work smoothly for teachers, for kids, for materials, for logistics. And then there are routines that focus on instruction. And instructional routines have specific designs built into them. So like kids know what to do, when, with whom, and how to engage in the math content as well. And repetition in a math classroom, well, when I hear repetition, I actually think like, memorizing facts, kind of drill and kill repetition, Mm -hmm. which is in stark contrast to the instructional routines for reasoning. Right. So doing the same thing repeatedly over and over Mm -hmm. again, uh, meaning the same kind of math problem over and over again. Right. And so what's routine about instructional routines is not necessarily the type of math problem, but the way in which students interact with the problem and with each other and with the teacher. So like the routines of those thought processes. Yeah, it's um, the thought, the ways of thinking, certainly. And also, the um, am I going to have some time on my own to think about this? And then am I going to talk with a partner about it? And then we're going to share out in the full group. And when I talk with my partner, I'm am I just talking about whatever I want to talk about? Or do I always have like a sentence stem to help me talk about it? And those kinds of design features mm-hmm. is what stays the same each time. And do you find that a lot of classrooms right now have those instructional routines in their math instruction? Well, the ones we go and do. <laughs> I think there's, um, maybe this is not the right time, the right response to this, but I think in the field, we're mashing up a couple of different, we don't yet have the language clear about what we mean by instructional routines or what we mean by task types, like kinds of math problems we ask kids to do. And I think we're trying to work that out. A lot of teachers are taking up instructional routines for really good reasons. So when you go into classrooms, they're working on number talks and kids know how to engage in that in order to learn computational fluency with um, conceptual understanding people are uptaking routines for reasoning. So you'll go into classrooms and see three reads being enacted. And when you go in classrooms and see instructional routines being enacted, one of the hallmark features is that you recognize it when you see it. And that means that like in one classroom, it looks kind of the same as the other classroom. And so if a kid were to switch classrooms mid-year, they recognize the routine also. So we're seeing it more and more. And Honestly, teachers are really appreciating instructional routines because they're a green size that teachers feel comfortable test driving in their classroom. And when they test drive the instructional routines in the classroom, they quickly see kids engaging in ways 
that maybe they didn't typically engage in or uh, seeing how all kids have a voice in the development of mathematical thinking. So they see benefits really quickly and uptake them even more. And so how can routines build space for students at all levels, of all abilities? Yeah, so routines are incredible tools for helping a wide range of learners be successful in the mathematics classroom, in part because they're routine, they're predictable. So students understand the ways in which they're going to, quote unquote, in air quotes, do math today, like how that's going to look in class and what that's going to sound like. And so because that's the same all the time and because routines are done repeatedly, it's just sort of a habit of this is how we engage in the math. So the routine in and of itself is a support. Mm -hmm. And then if you have routines like routines for reasoning that have specific designs and strategies just baked into the flow of them. So strategies like ask yourself questions, turn and talks, sentence frames and starters, annotation, those kinds of supports for students, then that allows a wider range of kids into the conversation. So they go in knowing what to expect. They go in knowing what to Mm -hmm. expect and they have time and structures to process the ideas and the thinking. So individual think time to think about something, time to work with the partner to talk through the idea and work through the language. If they're sharing ideas in a full group and the teacher is annotating while students are sharing, then students have this sort of visual that they can track while they're listening to their classmates talk about their ideas. And if the teacher is asking then other students to repeat or rephrase what was being said, there's another pass at hearing the idea, there's another pass at trying out the language, there's another opportunity to process what's happening. And the mathematical ideas and the thinking get increasingly precise for kids and understandable. So as Grace was saying, there are a lot of baked-in supports. Our four essential strategies really support kids in the thinking. And the predictable design is an incredible support, kind of implicit, the fact that it's a routine. One example is, say, in the middle of connecting our presentations, that the way the discussion is facilitated is supportive of all kids. So kids work together to make a connection, and then we share the connection out in the full group, and students come up in partners to share their connection. One student does the talking, the other student points and gestures to the representations that are being talked about. So kids in the classroom know this is the structure, and they can watch the student who's pointing and gesturing as they're listening to the student speaking. And then the idea gets rephrased and refined by students in the classroom, and then that same idea gets annotated and color-coded, so the thinking's organized and there's residue of the thinking, and all of that builds towards structural thinking in that routine, and all of those supports engage a wide range of learners. So for students who like, maybe there are students in a classroom who might lose focus for a minute or two, there's residue of the conversation. Or students who are learning math and language, Mm -hmm. they're seeing the pointing and gesturing as they're hearing the language. And then they're seeing some of the language written as residue. So it's supporting them as well, but for totally different reasons. Right, so kind of like multiple representations Mm -hmm. that can speak to different kids in the class. You know, when we're thinking of these inclusive routines, 
like you were saying, we want to make sure we are kind of centering those students who may have a harder time or may have um, specifically students with learning disabilities or someone who's also learning the language that the lesson's being taught in. So how can these routines specifically help those demographics? So the way in which routines for reasoning support a broad range of learners, one, we're focusing on mathematical thinking, and I think we send a message in the routines that thinking takes time, and it takes time to think and reason through something, and it takes different structures to help you do that. Just like writing, you don't put pen to paper and write and you're done. It doesn't just flow right out of your pen onto paper and it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Right? There's outlines and there's rough drafts and second drafts and third drafts and conversations with folks, and it's the same with mathematics. So mathematical discussions in the classroom is that sort of rough draft thinking where students are working out ideas with a partner and in a full group. Mm-hmm. Um, so thinking takes time and the routines for reasoning sort of create that time and space and structures for students to process and form ideas and reform ideas and refine them. I think that's great because I think sometimes kids can feel pressure to have the answer immediately and to automatically know and to offer that time to really think about their reasoning, I think is great. And I think there's a place for that in the classroom, right? There are certainly skills and there's fluency that we want to develop in students. So there are types of questions and times where you're looking to be able to like get an answer and get it quickly and accurately. But mathematical thinking is not that. Mm -hmm. You don't think fast. Right? You think slow and it marinates and you look at it from different perspectives and that just takes time to build. And so that's a, a shift in the classroom for students and for teachers. One hallmark of uh, routines for reasoning is the amount of mathematical discourse that happens during the enactment of an instructional routine. And for us, we for us as teachers, that's incredibly helpful because we elicit student thinking and then have the opportunity to hear it and make decisions around it and develop it. And it's super helpful for kids to be able to talk through ideas for all the reasons Grace was just mentioning, um, to be able to talk through an idea, refine the idea, do the rough draft thinking and verbalize it. Um, we, We also actually think about ourselves and adults and how often we have to verbalize things to remember or to make sense of. And so we, we're looking to give kids those opportunities in, in classrooms through mathematical discourse as well. And ultimately, we all talk through things before we write them. Mm-hmm. We learn to talk typically before we learn to write. So yeah. um, giving kids that opportunity to build mathematical thinking through, through the discourse and with the discourse. In your work together, you've identified several math practices that match up with these different classroom routines. And one that I was really interested in was the decide and defend routine. Did I get that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, could you talk a little bit more about that? Sure, the decide and and defend routine uh, was designed to help students develop the capacity to critique the reasoning of others and construct viable arguments which is the math practice three in the standards for mathematical practice. Uh, Amy calls it MP3-ing, mm-hmm. learning how to construct viable arguments <laughs> and critique the reasoning of others. And in the upshot of it is students are presented with a worked example, someone else's work, not theirs. And their job is to 
make sense of it first. What was the question that was being answered? What did this person do? What did they find? And then decide if they agree with it. So do they think the work is correct? Do they think the answer makes sense? Do they think the approach makes sense? And then once they've made that decision, defend that decision to the class. Mm -hmm. So I think this work is correct because, and then be able to craft an argument that convinces a skeptic and then have students in the class, their classmates play the role of skeptic and push on their argument to make it tighter and tighter and more and more convincing. And some unique features about Decide and Defend include the fact that students are annotating their thinking, annotating to make sense of the worked example, and annotating to help them craft their argument, and learning to really communicate like a mathematician. Mathematicians don't always write five-paragraph essays. Actually, they might never write five-paragraph essays, but they do use symbols and color and annotation to communicate a whole lot. So kids have the opportunity to really build that practice in order to both critique the reasoning of others and to construct their argument. And another unique feature of Decide and Defend is this iterative process of making sense of someone else's work, crafting, making a decision about the work, crafting an argument about your own thinking, and then analyzing classmates' arguments about the thinking. So there's like layer upon layer of Mm -hmm. thinking going on. We're positioning students to uh, consider each other's ideas, take them up, uh, push on them, pull on them, mm-hmm. see how far they, you know, do they have legs, see how far they go, make them better. And I think you're right, if I'm a student and my idea gets served up to the class and kids take it seriously, my classmates take it seriously and add to it or push back on it and clarify it, it makes me feel good. Sure. Yeah. I think one of the One of the essential strategies I'd really love to underscore that's in all of our routines is this thing called an ask yourself question. Mm -hmm. So, so often when we help students learn in mathematics, we sort of tell them how to do something. We show them how to do something and we might give them some sort of graphic organizer or that they can bring to this type of problem and a different kind of organizer to bring to another type of problem. And when it's this situation, do this. And it becomes this overwhelming set of if this, then that. And so we like to sit in this idea of an ask yourself question, the kinds of questions that mathematicians ask themselves when they're making sense of a new situation or working through a problem. And so if kids can learn to ask themselves uh, these questions, it gives them avenues into problem solving. So a sort of classic example is students are given a word problem to work on, and you'll often hear teachers say, read the problem, circle the numbers, underline the keywords, put a box around the question, like as a way to make sense of it. And we would argue that while it's important to notice the numbers, what you really wanna do when you see a number and what a mathematician would say is, is that a number telling me something about a quantity or is it describing a relationship between quantities in this situation? So what are the important quantities in this situation and how are they related? Can I change the form of this to make it easier to work with? The kinds of questions mathematicians ask, if we can ask those questions to students and get students habitually asking those questions every time they work on mathematics, then 
they, as Amy likes to say, develop an internal compass for mathematical problem solving. Mm -hmm. And so they don't have to depend on some external GPS walking them through every step of a problem to get to an answer. And in that way, it sort of fights against learned learned helplessness, and it just builds their sense of self as a mathematician and a powerful math thinker. The essential strategies that we bake into our instructional routines or routines for reasoning serve to support students in the thinking, engage them in the thinking, and give them a running start sometimes, like sentence frames, sentence starters, actually orient their thinking. It almost steers their thinking in order to develop a specific line of thinking, quantitative reasoning, structural thinking, or reasoning through repetition. And those four essential strategies that Grace was talking about, the sentence frames and starters, annotation, ask yourself questions, and the four R's, support kids, give them entry footholds into the thinking, and also develop the thinking. So they're all specifically steered toward the avenue of thinking that's being developed. My thanks to Amy and Grace for their time today. You can follow Amy on Twitter at Amy Lucenta and Grace at Grace Kelamanic. You can learn more about their work at our website and at blog.heineman.com. If you enjoyed this episode of the Heineman podcast, we invite you to subscribe and leave a review. As always, thanks for listening.